welcome to the Just Pause podcast with me, Claire Edwards. Today we have a listener story with Lucy and she has a really interesting story to share with us all because she, first of all, talks about many symptoms that are not spoken about very often, so I'll I'll let you listen on so you can hear what they are. Um, And she also had ovarian cancer, which meant that she had a surgically induced menopause when that all happened. Um, So her story is really interesting. It does include a slight misdiagnosis as well um, of her menopause symptoms or her perimenopause symptoms. So it's a super interesting episode. I absolutely loved talking with Lucy. And so I hope you enjoy listening too. Uh, Before we begin, let's take a smooth breath in. A long breath out and just pause. Hello Lucy, it's lovely to have you here on the podcast Um, and I'd love for you just to take a few moments just to introduce yourself if that's okay, you can say whatever you like. Yep, sure. Hi, Claire. It's nice to be here. Um, thanks for asking me along. Um, uh, it's my very first ever guesting on a podcast, so uh, this feels very exciting. Yay! Um, and, and just to warn you ahead of time, I've got a little bit of a cold coming, I think, so uh, if I'm a bit snivelly or coffee, then ignore that. Um, but yeah, so I'm uh, Lucy Williams. I'm a... Um, what can I tell you about myself? Uh, <laughs> I'm 51. Um, I'm a photographer, a portrait photographer, and I am also in my menopause. I had a, uh, a surgically induced menopause. Uh, I'm just trying to think when that was, maybe three years ago now. Okay. So, yeah, so I was launched into menopause quite uh, <laughs> quite suddenly, although I think I'd been perimenopausal for quite a while before then, though I didn't really know that I was. Um, uh, what else can I tell you? I live in Chippenham uh, with my husband, Chris, and my cat, Betsy. Um, yeah, I love that. <laughs> That's such a good intro. <laughs> I realise, and... Um, just because I'm interested, because and I don't know this, and because I've only met you, I've met you once, and you were such a beautiful human. Um, but I met you at a little um, Wiltshire kind of women's networking event when um, when I was there, and you were there, and it was great. And I had my son with me, and it was all slightly chaotic, but it was <laughs> it was it was really lovely to meet you. And but with your lovely intro, I've just gone. I wonder if she has kids, because there's sometimes a good question to ask, and it doesn't matter what the answer is, obviously. But like, yes, I'm interested. I have a very furry child, which uh, <laughs> um, very wise. Well, it sort of uh, ties into my story, really, because oh, okay. I always thought that I would probably, I don't know, have one at some point. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to imagine myself traipsing off across the Amazon with a baby on my back obviously in reality you know that I was in my 20s then or 30s and I was like oh yeah nothing's possible um but um at 43 I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer okay um, and I had my ovary removed um but it was it was just such a massive massive shock and I think I just the time even though weirdly I met my husband the same year <laughs> that I had ovarian cancer and um oh, wow. but yeah but I 
I don't know. I just kind of couldn't think about, I, I don't know. I just couldn't think about it. So no. So I ended up not having children and um, which sometimes makes me sad, but now it's kind of, I'm, yeah, as I said, 51 now. And um, I don't know, you know, there's pros and cons with everything, isn't there? So, you know, for, I've got two lovely nephews, one who's 14 and one who's three, uh, no, two and a half. And um, they're both ends of the spectrum. So, you know, as in a, a young one and a bit of an older one. So uh, I'm just a bit of a doting auntie and, uh, and yeah, and I said, a cat mum. <laughs> Amazing. No, that's really nice. Well, you get the best of both worlds if you're an auntie because you get to go and have fun with them and then you can go home and <laughs> leave, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And so I'm really pleased that um, you kind of maybe um, embrace that side of things and still have... Um, almost access to kind of um, flexing your maternal muscles because well everyone needs a bit of maternal love in their life and I think we forget that sometimes partners and also pets also need all of that too so I think we probably flex that muscle much more than we think um, we do. (laughs) I do do get a bit embarrassed if anybody comes around because you know when you live in a little bubble with just a husband and and a cat I realise that I become very (laughs) I'm just well I can't really explain it but probably anybody who has cats knows this but honestly I'm just sometimes people come around and I think oh god I've got to stop talking to her like she is a (laughs) person because this this other person won't understand this space I'm in but uh, anyway yes so she's sort of become like more than a cat almost oh no that's my life really yeah and I totally own that space, by the way. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's fabulous. So it sounds like um, when you were kind of diagnosed at 43, um, you went through, I'm assuming, all of the stuff that goes along with having a cancer diagnosis. Did you have, um, what kind of treatment did you have, if you don't mind me asking? I know you said you've, you had one of your ovaries removed um, but did you have to have any other things like radiotherapy or chemo or anything like that? No, I had a pretty lucky escape in that sense. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I found this lump in my abdomen and um, I went to the doctors and said, I think, well, at the time, my dad was diagnosed with dementia. So actually, I had a massive talk about uh, genetics and, and dementia and stuff. And then and then I said, oh, by the way, I found this like a uh, lump in my abdomen. And she had a little feel and she said, oh, I think it's a fibroid. Um, and then uh, it turns out to be a cyst. And then when the cyst was removed, they found cancer. So it was really, really early stage cancer. Uh, I was diagnosed at grade 1c so um the one because it was very early stage and the c because how they removed the cyst was that they drained it and they weren't sure whether with draining that any escaped um right okay so uh anyway and then i was rushed um or sort of fast track through which i think you are when you have cancer fast track to uclh in london and they, I, I then had to wait a tiny bit for sur- my next surgery um, because I had to heal from the first surgery. And then they um, took out um, my, uh, I'd had my ovary and my fallopian tube taken out. And then they had to take out a whole bunch of other stuff like my appendix, my omentum, which is uh, a layer of 
skin, uh, a layer of fat between your organs and your skin in your abdomen um, and my lymph nodes on my right hand side. Um, so it was quite, it was keyhole surgery, but uh, the, the incredible. Story. Well, uh, what happened was is that they they tore something inside me, so I had re like internal bleeding, two blood transfusions, woke up in uh, intensive care, um, and oh. so I didn't have to have chemotherapy because the cancer was all contained. But it took me about well, I think I, I was off work for about nine months afterwards, just recovering from the operation goodness <clears throat> yeah so it's quite impactful the operation was more impact well have anyone who's had a cancer diagnosis will know that having a cancer diagnosis is is very impactful um and then for me although i, I it should have been quite an easy ride but it wasn't because of the operation um how how that all panned out mm, goodness yeah so I'm guessing you're like, yeah, 43. You said you met your husband in the same year. Did you met him yeah. already by that time? No. So I had all of the operation and stuff in about June. And then I, I was off work, basically, because I, I couldn't physically go back. So I was just having a really nice time that summer, you know, taking it easy, <laughs> seeing friends, um, walking a lot in the woods. Um, and I thought, oh, you know what, I'll... I'll just, you know, I'll get back on online dating because I was single. And um, but I didn't really have any intention of kind of meeting anyone. I just thought, oh, you know, I just need to get back in the saddle because um, you know, when you've had something that quite significantly changes your body and also changes your mind, because you know, there you are traipsing along at 43, you know, planning whatever, and then suddenly you have something that is uh life impacting and it makes you think about your life and what you want to do with it and all of those things so I was really sort of just just hanging out that summer and just I don't know feeling my way through it really and uh yeah so I went on a date with Chris and really liked him and then um and he really liked me and then we um we decided quite quickly to to get married so we just did a year later <laughs> so, oh how funny is that what a cool love story <laughs> well you know what's even cooler is that um we neither of us thought we'd wanted to get married but then my dad uh ha had dementia and was um it was quite early onset and he was uh declining very quickly and um and so I think that's what drove the decision and we actually got married in his he was in a care home by the time we got married so we got married in his care home in the garden and um oh, and he the, the care home was actually full of old people and and my my dad there was my dad and another guy who were sort of the younger ones and um and the people all stood in the window and we sent him like waving they all mostly had alzheimer's we sent him wedding cake and they'd all dressed up and um <laughs> and uh, my dad hadn't spoken at this point for nine months but um he said i love you at the time so that was very oh my goodness that's that's incredible what a memory to have <laughs> yeah that's so beautiful. well well done both of you guys for you know just um kind of surrendering to the love <laughs> which is great um which is really good and so you kind of um mentioned that you may have had lots of perimenopause symptoms previous to being where you are now um but did you have some of those do you think before 
your cancer diagnosis is that kind of what you mean because I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about your um, whatever you can remember before and any symptoms that you might have had and then perhaps explain for me and also because um, I've never had anyone on here yet with a surgically induced menopause so it'd be lovely to have you explain a bit more about that too if that's okay yeah um so no, I don't know if I I don't recall having any perimen perimenopausal symptoms before the cancer diagnosis um mm -hmm. there may have been some I don't really know but I but the main thing was after I had the cancer diagnosis uh, and the operation about <clears throat> I don't know 10 months later I started to feel quite depressed um I had no energy I um felt I started to my brain started to be a bit foggy I didn't really want to go out and hang with friends or go to networking meetings um actually the networking meetings was the big thing I'd i I used to go to quite a few groups of women and, and business people who met up and um and I just couldn't I I just didn't enjoy it anymore because I found it really hard to mingle and talk to everybody because I'd sort of forget what I was saying <laughs> um, yeah and I'd gone from I felt like I'd gone from being quite funny and uh and and sort of chatty to to not being like that at all and I lost a lot of confidence and I just thought that all of it was because I'd had a cancer diagnosis and the impact of the operation okay. uh, and I just thought it would get better because I just thought I was going through something um but it, it it didn't get better and I kept saying do you think I'm perimenopausal and I had um because my my periods also had slowed down and were you know a few months in between and and um but they did all the tests and they said no your hormones are fine um so I then went through loads and loads of different medical tests because I think when you've had cancer they're extra careful when you've got odd symptoms mm -hmm. um, yeah and um, after, I don't know how many months of going through lots and lots of different tests, they said that I had fibromyalgia um, and that's why I had the brain fog and the body aches and just wasn't feeling great. And, um, and so I was like, okay, fibromyalgia, that's why. Um, yes, so that's what, that's what I thought I thought I had really. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that, um, well, I, I don't know. I, I've got uh, quite a few of my yoga clients are um, have got fibromyalgia. Um, I wonder from somebody who is essentially being diagnosed with it, whether you feel you have it now or still have it. I know it's something that you can kind of come in and out of a little bit, depending most of the time when you've got it, then it seems to be with you for, for the rest of, of time. But I do know, especially um, uh, one person I know has managed to kind of with good diet and everything else come kind of back out the other side but um, for those that don't know what it is would you mind explaining a little bit about what that what it is well I was diagnosed with it because I ached all over I, I had terrible pains in my knees my shoulders my hips my chest my everywhere really um, <clears throat> and I was very brain foggy so I couldn't remember you know the whole thing you can't start you start a sentence and you'd be like I don't even know what I'm talking about <laughs> um, yeah you couldn't I couldn't remember words I always used to be always used to be quite wordy and I couldn't remember any of my the big words that I loved I just I, you know I was lucky enough to be able to speak 
if I could speak quite simply, that was a good thing because sometimes I couldn't. Um, I I think what else? I wasn't sleeping properly. Um, I just felt really old. Like at the time, I was forty four. Um, 45 44 45 and I just felt like I was about 80 I just um I was going to work but if I did a day at work for the next three days I would have to recover right um so that those were my sort of main symptoms mm. yeah and that must have well it must have just been very frustrating especially as you say going from somebody that was kind of fun bouncy loads of energy which well from when I've met you now you are totally that person so I really yeah, yeah, that's that's you are still the person that you know you are inside <laughs> which is great um and it's lovely for you to have shared those symptoms because I don't I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with the fact with the phrase that you've just said which has felt really old because yeah I think you do sometimes go from having lots of almost zest for life and having this um you know almost abundant energy even though you might feel a little bit tired you might not have slept well or something but normally you've got enough energy to get through the rest of the day without it wiping you out for the next three days um so yeah so to then go straight into that and just be exhausted for you know perhaps 75 percent of the time is a, a big shock and so how how did you um kind of get through that how how basically how have you got back to your beautiful bouncy successful life self that, I, that I've met before oh thanks um well so I well I carried on having fibromyalgia and then um and some days would be better and some days you know would be crap um and uh, but I didn't feel generally that I was getting any better and I was like well this is it now but um when so it brings me around to when I had my uh hysterectomy so um yeah because I can't remember because of covid timing actually there might have been a bit of time when I also wasn't at work <laughs> so you know that that was a lot easier but then yeah. I had my hysterectomy um midway through covid and um uh after I had my hysterectomy, I uh, went to the GP just for her to check out my scars and everything, uh, make sure I was healing properly. And she said, oh, you are going to go on HRT, aren't you? And I said, well, <clears throat> I had a chat to my um, cancer consultant and she sort of advised me not to, not because of the cancer, but she was like, you know what, you're nearly, you're, you're nearly at the age where people start having their menopause anyway. Um, if you're not having any particular symptoms don't don't bother and my GP said hmm, I don't really agree with that I think that you're actually only in your late 40s and um you still you know you've still got a few years yet until we would expect you know the average age to have the menopause and actually I believe that women should be on HRT forever just because it's got so many benefits for like your heart and other things and I said well okay well I'm happy to sort of look into it and um because I'd had cancer uh, the ovarian cancer they um sent me to a, a gynecologist specialist in RUH in Bath um so I, I I was then talking to her about whether I should go on HRT and it was only in that conversation I said I've done loads of research I've 
I've got fibromyalgia, but I've done loads of research and the symptoms are really similar to, to perimenopause. And she was like, hmm, funny you should say that, but you're right. So we tried HRT and basically the symptoms just eased like, well, within probably, let's say eight weeks. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, and so I came off the fibromyalgia medicine and, um, and I've only been on HRT since then. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was probably misdiagnosed, to be honest. Um, I, it was probably perimenopause. That's so cool. I mean, what a hero your GP was for being like, ah, I think maybe we should just recommend you, like, you know, refer you to, you know, it's really good that you were referred to a specialist because I guess that made you feel much more confident in having then perhaps two people say, oh, no, you know, HRT is good route. And yes, there are very similar symptoms between fibromyalgia and um, <laughs> some perimenopause symptoms um and what a relief I guess to then suddenly be like oh yeah I, I mean it's a massive relief because I feel like now all these years on so wait there I was two, 2016 when I had my uh the the cancer diagnosis and it's now 2023 so that's what seven years eight years yeah. seven years um so and you know and I feel like I feel back to myself not the same self that I was when I was 43 but like definitely sort of you know I don't feel like I'm 80 anymore which is what oh, I'm really feeling like and I don't feel like I want to retire which I was really feeling like I don't want to go to work anymore I can't do things like podcast or stand up and speak because I can't trust that I'll get my words out. And I'm starting, you know, I've, I've gained my confidence back because I totally lost so much confidence. Wow. How does Chris feel about this? Does he know who you are? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose when he met me, I, well, when he met me, I, I probably hadn't really sort of got to the worst stage. And also, um, I don't know. He's very easygoing. So he just potters along with however I am, really. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's so good. So because normally I kind of ask people about you know, what action you took and what, um, you know, what did you do when you kind of felt like you've got perimenopausal symptoms? But your story is so interesting because <laughs> you you were just mis essentially misdiagnosed probably with fibromyalgia. So you just thought, well, that's what I've got. And we'll just carry on with that. Yeah. And it sounds like because um, I don't actually know what medication and things you take for um, for fibromyalgia, but um, you have just said that you're on medication for that. So I guess that must have been a little bit frustrating because you were taking medication and perhaps the symptoms weren't really they wasn't really nothing was changing I'm kind of guessing yeah I I I had read though you know when you research all of the things and lots of people have said that they tried different medicines didn't really help so I sort of thought that was the situation that I was in um and I was on quite strong medication that the kind of medication that you can't travel to lots of countries with because it's is it class A or class C? I can't remember. Oh, wow. Okay, right. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, I look back and I think, well, that was bad. Because, you know, with every medicine, there's pros and cons, isn't there? There's like, you know, the benefits from it. But there's also, um, what's what's the word? The, the non-benefits. <laughs> there you go. There's a menopausal moment. <laughs> not thinking the opposite word to benefits, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Disadvantages, that's it. <laughs> Again, love the use of the big words. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm frustrated with that. I you know, not so frustrated now, but when I first, oh my god, when I first had 
you know, after I had the hysterectomy, I was so angry about everything in a good way, in a ranty sort of like, uh, I need to... I need to kind of protest about this sort of stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I was, you know, a little bit crossed actually that I, nobody had listened to me and nobody had thought my symptoms were perimenopausal. And I'd just gone down this route of having something that I didn't, I don't believe that I actually had. Um, and I didn't need that medicine. And actually I could have probably been seeking help. I could have done things for myself, even if it wasn't HRT, there's lots of stuff you can do. Um, if you know that you're perimenopausal, and I think it's probably the case with a lot of women where they they don't really know. And even in the time, you know, in the last seven years, people have got more awareness of the whole range of symptoms of. Yes, it's not just hot flushes. No, which is what I thought. You know, I thought that my mum had had hot flushes. So that was the only thing that I knew about when I was in my early 40s. So mm. I'm hoping that people have or women have a lot better understanding now and can maybe. I don't know. I'm still sure that they it's hard to push for stuff, but um, at least we know there are many more symptoms now. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And that was going to be one of the other questions I was going to ask you, which is, is there anything that you kind of wish you had known sooner? I'm assuming list of symptoms would be on there. But <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, probably the, the sort of list of symptoms really would be the main thing, because then I would have maybe pushed a little bit harder and gone gone down that route but I yeah I, there was just so many things I didn't know and um I, I mean really thank god for Davina because that was the first thing that I watched where she talked about all sorts of stuff talked about the cancer risk talked about uh testosterone which I my I'm actually on estrogen and testosterone okay uh, which was transformative um and so you know yeah so those are the things I'd wish I'd known in my early 40s or, you know, after I'd had my operation that maybe to look out for some of these things. So, of course, I only had one ovary. So it was likely that I was probably going to be low uh, uh, on, you know, I was probably, even if I wasn't perimenopausal, I was heading that way with just one ovary, right? So Yes, yeah, because your hormone levels will have naturally dropped because you've only got kind of half the amount being produced by the body slash ovary um because you've only got one one left um that's that's really really interesting i, I had so many questions then i've now disappeared off of my <laughs> brain i'm like right okay come on Claire, get back on track and ask her the questions that you wanted to ask and my first one actually yes i remember my first one um it's really thank you for sharing what hrt you're on um because that's really helpful and are you essentially um constantly kind of monitored for that do you have to go back into um RUH which is in the hospital in Bath um to be um to have more um checkups on this or are you kind of left a bit to your own devices and um then just see how you do if you've got any issues you can contact them well I've just been signed off um so I've probably been monitored probably let's say two and a half years maybe three years um because I've also got a tiny bit of endometriosis on my bowel so um they've been monitoring that as well so um but they're they've been happy to sign me off so I mean which makes me a little bit nervous because I I don't know for me after having a cancer diagnosis I was you know very closely monitored for five years and then the monitoring took over from the gynecologist just looking to make sure the endometriosis hadn't changed and that nothing had changed so uh, I'm now 
I was just going to say I'm now in free fall. I don't really <laughs> feel like that, but it is a bit, it's really freeing to be not monitored anymore, but it, it's also quite weird because it's been such a massive part of my life for like the last seven years. So now I'm just on, uh, yeah, on, on my HRT and, and just deal with the GP if, if, um, if I need um, yeah well I guess you've got that security anyway of going back to the GP and in your case in some ways quite helpfully because of your history I think if you do feel that anything's wrong you'll probably be um almost <laughs> I hate to say this but taken seriously rather than just gone oh wow you'll be fine <laughs> I think because of your history they'll go right okay yeah we need to look at this a bit closer which is great um so that's really good. And I just want to go back to when you were saying when you had your hysterectomy, you were really angry. <laughs> I was. Um, I want to know, because um, is that a normal um, a normal port of call if you've had ovarian cancer and had the um, kind of operations that you've had to then have a hysterectomy later on? Or was that something that you were advised to do or you had to do? Um, just expand a bit more on that if you can yeah I think it, it was a choice thing for sure for me um so I would have had I would have had a hysterectomy ages before because I was so terrified of get, getting it in my other ovary that um I just didn't want the worry because of course you know you can't feel like I was lucky to have felt the cyst but a lot of people that the statistics for ovarian cancer are terrible um because a lot of people don't know they've got it until it's spread so yeah. um and just to give you I don't know if it's changed but when I was diagnosed the statistics were that only 20% of people survive longer than a year after a ovarian cancer diagnosis only 20% um, yeah. which is horrendous and horrific when it could easily be spotted or at more easily be spotted if people were having their ovaries scanned you know like you have a you know uh, what's it called a <laughs> cervical smear you know like yes. it was regularly you had your cervical smear and you had your ovary scanned that would probably mean a lot of people would know about it a lot sooner wow yeah it's easily done but we don't in this country have that as a I mean I don't know if they have it in other countries but in some countries you have a gynecologist right so we'll probably yes. it a bit. You have a more in-depth overview um yeah. of what's going on yeah well so yeah so I chose to have the hysterectomy they were quite happy that nothing was happening in my other ovary but um I you know I was just like whip it out it's fine <laughs> I, I'd rather not worry about it especially now I'm not being monitored so yeah yes yeah and no I think that's that's good and then I'm kind of a, and sorry if you I don't think we're repeating ourselves here but I'm assuming then because you have you've had your hysterectomy then did you go in I know that you um went to speak to your GP, but um, I'm just trying to find out whether there is a link about somebody going, right, you've had a hysterectomy, so let's, um, you probably will start your menopausal journey like now, um, because now there's, you know, your reproductive system is essentially gone. <laughs> so yeah. um, that will be absolute um, surgically induced menopause there, because yeah, yeah you haven't got... <laughs> so. So was your um, was your kind of journey with HRT, was that almost immediately after your hysterectomy or did you have to wait for a bit? Uh, I had to wait for a bit because, uh, well, because I hadn't considered it really. So it was only when I went to the GP and she was like, you have thought about being on HRT. <laughs> and I was like, well, I sort of thought about it and mentioned it to my cancer consultant. She was like, no. So I, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really think about it 
any more than that. Okay. Um, and uh, oh, there was something I was going to say then, but I've sort of forgotten. sorry, I spoke. Right. Well. And then I had to wait. That's right. I had to wait for my appointment at RUH. So I would say there was probably a gap of about a year, maybe okay. a bit less, um, between having the hysterectomy and then um, and then seeing the the, the consultant at, at the hospital. Cool. No, that's amazing. I still can't get over the fact that within about eight weeks, your kind of supposed fibromyalgia symptom has just kind of disappeared. <laughs> just... I mean, I suppose those symptoms were still there, but mild. Uh, so yes. now I still have aches and pains and I still have a bit of brain fog from time to time. But like it's it's really mild compared to what it was like. Yeah, which is great. And considering now you're 51 and I'm assuming are you still um you're going to use, and you still you said at the beginning you're kind of still um perimenopausal pretty much um but you know you're moving into the um the menopause stage perhaps i'm assuming you're still having no, a, a regular period or <laughs> wow. well sorry did you ask me that question because no i don't have a period or anything like that. oh amazing so yeah you you are you, you have reached the goal because no, <laughs> when you have a hysterectomy that's it or you're you're oh, of course it is sorry <laughs> But well, postmenopausal, I guess what I am, um, because I think menopause is the bit where you. So this is the thing. This is a weird thing about being a woman, isn't it? Is how little <laughs> you know about the terminology or maybe it's just me. But, you know, I learned so much about my body through having an ovarian cancer diagnosis. I think people also learn a lot about their bodies if they're pregnant or things that you just think, I should really know that stuff. Um, totally that. And then the same with menopause, you know, like, and the same with hysterectomies. I, it was only about a year afterwards, I, I had to get back in touch with my <laughs> consultant in London and say, do I have a cervix anymore? Do I need like a cervical smear? Because nobody mentioned it to me. Turns out I don't have a cervix anymore, so I don't need a cervical smear. But I just didn't really ask at the time because I didn't really yeah. think to ask. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I don't have periods. I obviously, yeah, sorry for <laughs> totally like <laughs> that has really made me chuckle. Like, we've just had this conversation and I've just said muddle it up, isn't it? <laughs> Never mind. Let's <laughs> <do that. laughs> oh dear. So yeah, I guess um, in some ways, because obviously that's normally the marker, isn't it? When you stop having periods, then they're like, "Cool, yes, you have reached your your full kind of menopause and and you know menopause, perimenopausal symptoms." Then mostly, normally, kind of fade away as your um, hormone levels regulate to whatever their new level is but you can absolutely still stay on hrt and and do anything that you need to for as long as you want and after that um but yeah i suppose in some ways you'll be like cool well i am now and this is how i am and <laughs> we'll just have to see how my symptoms go and whatever needs to happen with hrt from this point onwards is fine <laughs> yeah i i, I mean you know what's quite interesting as i'm constantly i still feel like i'm constantly learning about about it like little things like the the post that you mentioned earlier the Facebook post I made was because I suddenly thought I should really put this on Facebook just in case anyone else is going through the same stuff because I can't park for shit anymore like <laughs> I used to be really good I love driving and I used to 
uh, be great at parking. I lived in London for a long time and I could get my car in the tiniest of space <laughs> and through the tiniest of gaps. And, um, uh, and now I can't even park when there's no other cars on the street. I'm about a meter out from the curb. I'm like, I have to do it about six times to get myself straight. And then one day I suddenly, oh, because I also have developed, um, I've always loved flying. I've always traveled a lot. And I've developed in the last, like, probably, well, probably since, so since COVID, because obviously nobody traveled during COVID. And then, and then I had my hysterectomy during COVID. Mm. So after COVID, when I've gone back to flying, I'm, I'm terrified of, of flying to the point where on the way back recently, um, we went to Albania and I couldn't, I couldn't look out of the window. I, 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 I was just huddled into my husband and I'm really not that kind of person. And um, I, I was just terrified, huge anxiety. I worry all the time about, uh, wait there, let me go back to that. So I suddenly thought maybe it's a spatial awareness thing, the, the flying, ah, yeah. also the parking. Mm -hmm. I, and then I thought this has all changed since I, since I, uh, since I uh, had my hysterectomy. So it must be a menopause symptom <laughs> because mm. why else would it like, why else would I suddenly after 25 years of driving just not be able to park anymore or so I wonder if it's a spatial awareness sort of thing. Um, and the level of anxiety, like I find myself, I probably always had a bit of a risk assessment kind of uh, way of being but like now like my little nephew who's two and a half I can't I find it really hard to be with him when he's eating because I'm just terrified he's going to choke um, okay. and I I'm on edge the whole time and it's just it feels silly because I know the likelihood of that happening is quite small but I you know the same as flying the likelihood of crashing is small but uh I, but anyway that anxiety level has gone wild and uh I mean, it's quite fascinating, but also horrible feeling. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And that kind of sticks with you. And then I think the only thing that I, I suppose you can do is try and do as many um, calm inducing activities as possible to try and counter some of that. But um, yeah, it is very, um, very good that you've made that link, I think, of going, oh, hang on. I wasn't like this before and all of a sudden I'm finding all of these things are happening and these aren't things I've normally thought about or even felt or whatever um and I'm it will be well interesting maybe we'll have you back on maybe in a couple of years Lucy and you can say you can tell us if they're still happening uh yeah I, yeah it's weird isn't it? it until you like when I put it on the Facebook group I didn't expect I, I mean, I basically just put it there as a bit of a marker for myself and just in case it interested anyone else. But the number of comments I got on my Facebook post <laughs> saying all of these other symptoms and agreeing that the part of the driving is, you know, people's driving has got terrible since they've been menopausal. And, and I was like, OK, so this is actually a thing. But who knew? And as when you've got some way of making sense of it, you're like, OK, I get I get that now. So instead of thinking that you're going a bit mad or that you're losing your facilities or whatever, you suddenly go, oh, OK, so that's a menopause thing. And then now I just it makes me laugh that I that uh, my parking's so terrible um, but, but I can make sense of it and I know that it's not something else happening if you know what I mean yeah that's that's really nice thank you so much for sharing this in particular that bit first of all for sharing what you did on Facebook because that was what 
prompted me to get in touch but um but yeah also that having the comments from people back I think the raising of awareness of of everything is is as you say getting much bigger yeah which is great but there are still these random things like you've experienced with the parking and the kind of flight anxiety and that kind of thing where you're like well is that a symptom yeah (laughs) or am I just going a bit nuts like yeah and then to have people come back and go oh yeah no I have that too like okay cool right okay I can calm down a bit now and and stop stressing that yeah as you say it might be something different or more sinister that you haven't spotted yet because I can understand from your history that you know you don't you don't want to have to go through any of what you've been through and then not that you'll do anything identical to that but um you know you don't want the risk of missing something and then it becoming something more serious because you kind of it or ignored it um and I do think that that's the same for lots of for lots of people both men and women but you know I know this podcast we talk mainly about women's health so um yeah never be afraid to I think sharing is such a key thing yeah Um, trying to talk to people and um, you know, you were super brave to chuck that out on Facebook because you didn't know what you were going to get back necessarily. But um, it's really good that you've got such a lovely response and something that made you feel quite comforted um, from other people just agreeing that, yes, they experienced the same, which yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the more, you, you know, I feel like there is a whole bunch of women. I, I'm not sure whether it was the same like 10 years ago even, but I feel like there's a whole bunch of women now who are often talking about menopause and stuff like that and actually it feels like being part of a good tribe (laughs) yeah which it should do I think um it was funny I was speaking to some of my um my friends who you know similar age to me and I it, it was I'm so pleased that I'm doing this podcast now for me selfishly learning about all of this stuff now because you know one of them said oh yeah you know well the the people at my work that are you know in their early 50s all they talk about is menopause and I was <laughs> like well listen to what they're saying because yeah. you're going to experience all of that and more or different or whatever and I just I don't know I feel like I mean you you can be an ostrich that's fine if you want to be but then when the symptoms hit later on then you will probably start to think you're going a bit nuts um, because you don't know what's happening I think the sharing and the education um, that we're kind of starting to bring in now is so, so helpful because I think it will put so many people at ease to go, right, I know what this is and, you know, I need to go to my GP or I need to go to a private clinic and get some some um, help, counselling, HRT, like whatever route you decide to go down, whether that's natural or, or whatever, um, but at least you know how to tackle it because you know what it is. <laughs> so, yeah super important and you've done so well for sharing um today and also on Facebook (laughs) you know it's it's really poignant today I saw my mum and we were just I don't know why we were talking about it probably because I really needed the loo and I was like berating menopause for for needing the loo which whole bug that's my latest bugbear which I'll remind me and I'll tell you about that in a sec but um but I was talking to my mum and she said yeah you know looking back she said all I knew about was hot sweats but uh, my mum was diagnosed with a, a, a breakdown, a, a mental breakdown in her probably late 40s. I don't know when it was, actually. I was away. I wasn't living at home. So um, but she'd had some big things happen and um, in, in her life, not exactly at that point, but in the years before. And um, 
yeah, so she had this breakdown and she said, but you know what, looking back, the level of anxiety I was feeling and the depression I was feeling and all of that, she said, I actually think it was, it was probably menopause triggered. And because <laughs> she said, so, you know, this is the thing, you know, like years ago, that's maybe how women felt and they just had to get on with it, which we all do anyway, right? We, there's, if you think about it, 50% of the population, not everybody will have severe menopause symptoms, but there is 50% of the population who will go through menopause and um, and they're all just getting on with work and going to work and you'd never even know in a lot of, all those women that kept it hidden and just probably weren't coping very well, but made it look like they were. So, I mean, kudos to them. And also now that people are talking about it and saying, you know, I find, like, I find it really hard to do this at work because I'm going through this at the moment or whatever. Yeah. Which is great. That's so interesting that your mum shared that with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was that because of uh, me talking to you. So, like, yeah, but that's so cool. And you know, I've I've had you know previous episodes where I've asked people um, about whether they have spoken to their mum about their um their kind of journey um, because yours might be quite similar. But I know obviously you're in a different um a different situation where yours probably won't be this similar because <laughs> of the fact that yours has been surgically induced rather than it's just happening whenever it happens so um but yeah it's, it's so so nice that then your mum felt like she could like talk to you about it she might not yeah. have spoken to anyone else ever about about what happened so that was probably really nice for her to share today as well too so that's lovely um that's why I'm going to remind you you said something about yes. the loo. Being. Uh, so I've got no shame so I'm totally going down this path um, one of the things that has happened since menopause is I when I need the loo I need it straight away I can't wait like I used to I can't think oh that's all right you know in about half an hour I'll be at a pub and I'll go to the loo in there or whatever like I need to go. And um, I was just reading a report on the BBC saying that uh, it, it it's very, well, was it a report on the BBC? I don't know. But it was talking about older people. One of their barriers to exercise is uh, like if they go to the park or anything like that, there's no public toilets. So a lot of people don't want to go to the park and exercise because there's either no toilets or they're not looked after and they don't feel very safe, the, to the toilets. So, yeah. and I'm already feeling that at 51 because I have to plan my route around where toilets are. And it's got to a stage that I bought myself a Shiwi and I, <laughs> nice. yeah, because, uh, you know, I work in London quite a lot and I drive there and I stop at Reading, uh, go to the loo. And then, but by the time I get to London, um, there aren't any loo stops uh, between Reading and where I go to to park my car. So I have literally got there and then weed in the car park using this shiwi. And I, you know, a part of me, it makes me laugh that I'm doing this. And I feel kind of like, yeah, don't you look at me because, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't mess with a menopausal woman. That I'm sort of ranty like that. But the reality of it is I don't really want to be weeing with a shiwi in a car park but I don't have often any other options and um you know if there's not a toilet available or a cafe open or a thing like that and I just think you know I hope like I I've been prescribed uh I haven't got them yet because well because I've also got testosterone in my prescription and so they won't release one without the other and it's really hard to get hold of testosterone at the moment um but I've been prescribed estrogen suppositories uh, okay. which will yeah. hopefully help the weeing situation but 
I mean, I feel like it's still a big taboo to talk about a, a, an incontinence that, um, because you know, you're still having to go to work, get on with work. I'm a photographer, I'm on shoots all day. I can't always just go to the loo, but I have to find a way now to do that. Um, which, so it is impacting my life quite a lot. Um, and that's yeah. a menopause symptom, so. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, we'll have to maybe try and do a whole other thing on like pelvic floor health, which I know I've mentioned in one of the um, episodes of this podcast. It was with um, a lady called Jen who um, teaches a method called hyperpressives, and that's extremely good for pelvic floor health. Mm. So, um, but I know, it, you know, it, having the incontinence issue is sometimes only partly due to pelvic floor health. <laughs> it can sometimes be, um, you know, just uh, even in your kind of things can get built up in your brain can't you and then it gets stressful and then you kind of then feel like you need to go even quicker because you're stressed about the fact that you need to go to the toilet and it's um it's this then relentless ending cycle and uh, which yeah, lack of estrogen build. that's also what causes it so amazing so good that you said the, the suppository yeah. um as well which is really good because then that will yeah hopefully get it directly to the the source whereas um how do you and again sorry we didn't talk about this last time um when i asked you earlier about your hrt because i know there are diff lots of different ways of oh yeah um, having it do you kind of gels or patches or what do you kind of use or a different thing altogether well <laughs> i was using uh an estrogen gel and an est uh, testosterone gel but it was way too much gel and uh, okay. a surface area on my ass. But I just sort of was like, I couldn't rub it all in. It was so much gel. So now I'm on patches for estrogen and gel for testosterone. Um, yeah, so that seems to be a bit of an easier way of, of managing it. Um, I know people often like the gel better because you you can apply a little bit more, I think, if you need to. But, um, but I, I just couldn't cope with that level of, gelness <laughs> yeah no i can imagine you're like well i need to put some clothes on at some point, <laughs> at some point <laughs> no. oh my god oh yeah anyway so that that but um uh there's been you probably know there's been a shortage of estrogen and well i don't know for me i only say estrogen so i don't know about progesterone but um and there's also i've been prescribed from the hospital uh testosterone sachets and they're impossible to get hold of so i can't get hold of the, the suppositories i need because um uh my prescription is has got both things on and uh it's it yeah so i mean these are the kind of silly things that come up aren't they but because i had it released by the hospital it's really hard getting my prescription changed so um yeah well i really hope that that um all sorts itself out because it's just um yeah, that whole thing I can imagine is a complete minefield. And I'm so I'm going to go and do some um, good research now about the whole um, lack of um, or the kind of the lack of estrogen um, kind of being a big thing with pelvic floor health. I'm going to just go and like, yeah, digest all of that information and go and take <laughs> it somewhere. <laughs> and it feels like yeah. a weird thing to share because I literally do not want to be sharing about my weeing habits. But I think it's an important part of menopause I mean I, I can't say my pelvic floor is probably rubbish anyway but um it also is a part of menopause and it is also a part of if if there are I don't know look at the statistic for the number of women who are impacted by it because it's higher than you think and there's all those women just 
having to limit their lives or make their lives around where toilets are uh, mm. and still cracking on with stuff right like still going to work still doing life yeah yeah no that's such an important thing to share <laughs> and yeah I hope that people listening to to this have not gone oh my god like I've got all of this you know well I think it's not it's everyone right yeah. no but I mean I've been I think this has been so helpful because it's just given you a really good overview of these symptoms just as you said that are slightly less talked about and shared because people do find it embarrassing you don't you don't talk about it um but it's been super super wonderful to have you on and have this have all of this knowledge that you've got because you've obviously gone away and done quite a lot of research which is also amazing so well done you um for going and going right i'm gonna just research this and see if i can find out what it is almost myself or if you've been given hints and tips by um your gp or um the kind of gynecologist at iuh yeah like knowledge is power definitely um and it probably helps um lower your overall stress levels if you then kind of go off and and find out what the root cause of things are um which is great and you've been so good to share it all with us which is amazing so thank oh, you you're welcome it's been yeah I, I really like I, I weirdly really like talking about it because I think the more people know um the better the better armed you can be absolutely yeah and no this has been this has been wonderful i've got so much to then go and write about now for your show notes and your, your oh, and like, oh my god <laughs> listen to this episode because it's just incredible <laughs> uh, <laughs> amazing thank you so much lucy um and it's just been a, such a pleasure talking to you and sharing so much gold oh brilliant thanks claire ever so much so much for listening to this episode of the just pause podcast if you would like to share your story and come on to the podcast and chat with me then please be in touch because it would be lovely to hear from you before we leave just remember to take a smooth breath in a long breath out and just pause